See, if we're really going to intercede for others, if you really want to do this today, to stand in the gap on their behalf, you and I must be willing, we have to be willing, to lead in the direction that honors the Lord, regardless of how it impacts us. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we come before you today, and oh God, we cry out to you. We worship you. Oh Father, we just ask for a mighty move of you today. God, we crave and long for a move of the Holy Spirit right now like never before. So God, as we open your word, word of God, speak. Speak powerfully. Do the work, O God, that only you can do. Hide me behind the shadows of the cross, O God. And we'll be quick to give you all the praise and give you all the glory. And we pray this in the mighty and the matchless name of King Jesus. Amen. Take your Bible and turn to Philemon. Looking at verses 18 through 21 today. Philemon, verses 18 through 21. And as you're turning there, the title of the message today is simply this. Redemption modeled. Redemption modeled. Remember, we are in the midst of our sermon series, The Pursuit of Interceding for Others, and redeeming and redemption is the key theme of when we intercede for others and their pain, going through their challenges and their heartache, and yet sometimes people are walking in sin, other times they've been the victim of harm and the victim of sin, and as we intercede for both of those situations, I pray today that you will see that redemption is being modeled by Paul. You've got to remember that in verses 15 through 16, Paul was saying, for perhaps Onesimus, he departed for this reason. And, and Paul wasn't saying, look, uh, he went AWOL, he abandoned ship. That's not what Paul said. He said, for perhaps, for perhaps there was a greater purpose, a divine purpose, that in the midst of his sin, in the midst of Onesimus walking away, that God can take the mess and create the message. That God can take the tests and create the testimony. And he can do that in your life today. Now, it doesn't mean that the consequences will go away. But we know this, that for whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So we cling to that as we rest in the nail-scarred hands. As we cling to the old rugged cross. We take comfort and peace in that truth. And then in verse 16, as we lead into our today's study, he, Paul goes on and says, No longer is a slave receive him, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. And then Paul said there in verse 17 that, Look, Philemon, if you're going to receive him, receive him as you would me. Count him as that brother. And then Paul, so strategically, 
as he continues to paint the picture and set the table. He says this in verse 18 today. He says, but if he has wronged you, that's Onesimus, Paul's referring to as he's speaking to Philemon, or owes you anything, put that on my account. Wow. Verse 19, I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Paul, again, so gloriously is expounding and proclaiming the Word of God through this simple letter, this only private letter that we have of Paul. And he says here in verse 18, as we unpack this together today, he says, but if he, again Onesimus, has wronged you, if he has wronged you, if he has acted wickedly, if he has acted unjustly, if he has hurt you, if he has damaged you, if he's harmed you, or literally if he's sinned against you, Paul's saying, look, here's what we're going to do. But before he explains that, he says, oh, by the way, if he owes you anything, if there's a debt that needs to be settled, Paul says, put that on my account. See, the reality is that most theologians agree that Onesimus most likely stole from Paul. Otherwise, why would he be owing him something? And think about this backup thought on that. Onesimus is on the run from Colossae to Rome. That's a really long way. How did he finance this vacation? Any ideas? See, most likely, Onesimus stole from Philemon. For whatever reason, what was ever going on in that time frame, in his life, in his world, in his mind, that he came to the conclusion, i got to get out of here. I'm hitting the high hills. I'm hitting the streets. I'm gone. See ya. And yet in the midst of this, because Paul is now seeing the new Onesimus, he's seeing the new son in the faith, who's now beloved because he's come to faith in Christ, he now intercedes, he now models redemption back to Philemon. And he says these powerful words. He says, put that on my account. He says, look, if he's taken anything from you, if he owes you anything, if he's wronged you in any way, shape, or form, if he's stolen from you, Paul is saying, look, I'm going to vouch for the new man in Christ, Onesimus. And I want you, Philemon, to put that on my account. Like, I'm going to pay his debt. Put that on my account literally means this, to reckon or to impute. Now, this is so key. Because as we look towards the cross, we see here that Christ did that for us. Amen? That there was a reckoning and imputing going on. And Paul, in essence, is saying... Put that on my tab. Put that on my bill. Put that on the house account that I got going on here. You just charge it to me. I'll take care of this. I will bear the penalty. That's what Paul is saying. That's the magnitude of what Paul is trying to communicate here. No matter what has been owed, he's saying, look, I will take care of this. And oh, church family today, I want you to understand this that this is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture of the substitutionary atonement and the imputation of Christ. If you have given your life to Christ truly, my sin, your sin, 
has been put on Christ's account. And his righteousness was put on our account. See, Jesus is our mediator. He's our advocate. We give him our sin and he gives us his righteousness. It kind of could go something like this. Jesus talking to God. Receive them, God, as you receive me, Jesus. I don't know about you, but that seems like a crummy deal for Jesus. But think about this. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God through him and in him. See, we are clothed in Christ's righteousness. We are dressed in his righteousness. No longer a son or daughter of the enemy, but now a son and a daughter of the high king whose name is Jesus Christ. And yet it goes even further because Romans 3.25 tells us, whom God set forth as a propitiation by Christ's blood. See, without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. And because of what Christ did on my behalf and on your behalf, as we place our faith and trust in him, and now we become one in him, as we are those adopted sons and daughters, here's what happens. His blood, his blood completely. It's Christ's blood and his blood alone that washes away all our sin. And through that faith, the righteousness of God is demonstrated. And through Christ's blood, the wrath of God is forever satisfied. See, the sin bearer, Jesus, took our place and absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf. And Paul is taking that beautiful message that happened in his life He's taking that beautiful message that happened in Philemon's life and he's saying, look Philemon, let's take the beautiful message that happened in both of our lives and let's wash this beautiful message over our new brother Onesimus and say, oh Onesimus, your sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross and you bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, it is well with your soul. And Paul's imploring, he's imploring Philemon to look through the lens of the cross, to look through the lens of the empty tomb, and to say, this is what Christ did for you. Now you go do it for Onesimus. And oh, by the way, I'm going to model this, Paul says. I'm going to model this redemption on a very, very human, finite scale. And if Onesimus owes you anything, or if he's wronged you, put that on my bill. Put that on my tab to intercede for Onesimus. And Paul goes on even more in this text and he says this, I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. Why would he say that? He's saying this, trust me, this is Paul. This is very personal, by the way. Paul is co-signing on Onesimus' debt. He's in essence giving Philemon an IOU. Because he says, I will repay. It's me writing 
I'll take care of this. I'm going to stand in his place. Whatever he's wronged you of, whatever he owes you, I'm going to be the one that's going to be held accountable for this. And I will repay. Literally, to pay off the debt. A legal promissory note, if you will. But think about this. You typically don't commit to paying for someone's debt unless there is an unfathomable and incredible love for and belief in that person. Amen? You typically don't do that unless there's an unfathomable love and an incredible belief in and for that person. And then Paul says this, at the end of this verse, he adds this gentle reminder. He says, not to mention that you owe me even your own self. Again, a direct but graceful approach from Paul to Philemon of the spiritual debt that he owes Paul for Paul leading him to the Lord and having new life in Christ. It's almost as like Paul was saying very gently, very mercifully, I led you to the Lord, Philemon. You owe me everything. Pony up. It's time for you to see me modeling redemption on behalf of Onesimus, and now it's time for you, Philemon, to model grace and forgiveness to Onesimus, just like Christ gave forgiveness and grace to you. And here's key number one. Write this down, key number one. If I am to intercede for others, I must be willing to stand in the gap. Let me say that again. Key number one. If I am to intercede for others, I must be willing to stand in the gap. See, this is exactly what Paul is doing. He's modeling redemption as he's standing in the gap to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. Don't forget there was pain inflicted by Onesimus on Philemon and his family by him running away, by him stealing. But just as Jesus stood in the gap for sin and paid the debt of us, we must stand in the gap for others as well. Paul is willing to go so far as to make restitution for Onesimus. I mean, just as Jesus did this, just as Jesus stood in the gap for you and me, Just as he stood in the gap for Paul and Philemon, just as Jesus did that, we must do the same. And Paul takes us a step further. He says, look, I'm actually willing to make restitution because that's what Christ did for you and me. When Christ went to the cross and he died that death and he cries out, it is finished, he was paying the debt that you and I owed. He was making restitution for us on our behalf. The wrath of God was satisfied because the blood of Jesus, that payment was paid and that check cashed. And oh, by the way, it cleared the bank. Think about what Luther said about this whole scenario. Here Luther comments in this vein. He says, here we see how Paul lays himself out for poor Onesimus. And with all his means, pleads his cause with his master. And so sets himself as though he were Onesimus. And had himself done wrong to Philemon. Even as Christ did for us with God the Father, thus also does Paul for Onesimus with Philemon. We are all his Onesimi, to my thinking, end quote. What's a good example of this in Scripture? 
Well, there's several, but the one that comes to my mind in particular is this. Luke chapter 10, write this down. Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37, write this down. You guys know this account. It's the account of the Good Samaritan. And here in Luke chapter 10, verses 30 and following, here's what the text says from God's holy word. Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among the thieves who stripped him of his clothing and they wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. See, this descent was risky, obviously, duh. It's over 15 miles or so. And this is where the robbers and the thieves hung out. Now look at verse 31. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed on by the other side. Now look at verse 32. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. Now look at verse 33. The story changes. The script gets flipped. But a certain Samaritan. Now pause there for a moment. This is unthinkable. A Samaritan would never travel this road. The text goes on and says, as he journeyed down the road, came where he was, the certain man who has been robbed. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Wow. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. That's a first aid kit back in that day. And he set him on his own animal. Don't miss that. Not someone else's animal, on his own animal. And brought him to an inn and took care of him. Now look at verse 35. On the next day, when he departed, he took two denarii, two days' wages. And he gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So Jesus went on to say in verse 36, So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. In other words, Jesus says, Go imitate him. Go do exactly what he did. This man's traveling. He gets beat up. A bunch of thugs come onto the scene. They're getting ready to go knock off a 7-Eleven, and they say, hey, we're not going to do that. Let's go ahead and take care of this dude. And they begin to beat this guy, leaving him for dead as they strip him of his possessions and what he has, as they strip him of his clothing. And the religious dudes come by as well, and they don't see a need to help the guy. And the Samaritan, who shouldn't even be on this road, unthinkable of that day, He's the very one guy that God uses to help the certain man who was on his way to Jericho. What a beautiful illustration of interceding and modeling redemption. And then Paul goes back to the point in verse 20, and he says this, Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Notice how Paul refers to Philemon in the same manner as he refers to Onesimus, brother. 
Let me have joy from you to be held, to be useful, to be profitable. We've heard this before in our study, haven't we? See, the root word here for joy in the original language is the name for Onesimus. Again, useful and profitable. This is key. Paul, again, is using another play on words. Yes, brother, let me have Onesimus from you and the Lord, is what he's saying. And I love this because Paul knows this. He's saying this in regards to it's all in the Lord. See, Paul knows, Philemon knows, that it's only through the Lord and His power by the Holy Spirit that we are able to overcome the enemy itself. There's no other way. And he's saying, yes, brother. Yes, beloved. Yes, one in the faith. Yes, one that our hearts are knit together. Our souls are knit together by the bond of affection that's only through Christ Jesus our Lord. And what is he saying here? He says, from you in the Lord, oh, let me have this joy. In other words, let me have Onesimus. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Literally to give rest, to be refreshed, so that he can collect his strength and continue to press on with the banner of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why key number two in your notes, I want you to write this down. Key number two. If I am to intercede for others, I must be willing to lead in the direction that honors the Lord. And see, the direction that honors the Lord many times is brutally difficult. It's not easy. It's the road less traveled. Many times it's like the Good Samaritan. It's the road which you shouldn't actually be on in the flesh. But God says, I want you to go down this road. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any logical sense. It may not make financial sense. It may not make any sense other than this. God is saying, go do it. And I know this from my own life. That the seeming hopeless despair of the dark nights that often wage war within all of our souls actually enable us to begin to see clearly like a glistening sunrise the enormity of the glorious hope that's only found in Christ Jesus and in God's new mercies that are fresh every morning. Oh, so many times those dark nights of the soul that we all go through are the very door that opens, that leads us deeper into the presence of God, that conforms us more to the image of Christ. See, if we're really going to intercede for others, if you really want to do this today, to stand in the gap on their behalf, you and I must be willing, we have to be willing, to lead in the direction that honors the Lord regardless of how it impacts us. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. That's why I love 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 through 5. It's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. 
1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. Write it down in your notes. Paul speaks here to the church in Corinth, and that church had so many challenges. And he says these powerful, potent, dynamite words. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with the excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. Verse 2, here's the why. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith, here's the why, here's the why, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Do you see what Paul is saying? He's saying, look, I'm not much to look at. I'm not very eloquent. But that's exactly the point, that God's power is made perfect in my weakness. That as God uses me, Paul says, for his glory, as God speaks through me, as Paul says, for his glory, I was determined, Paul says, to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And Paul is saying, look, as I preach the gospel, whether it's in Corinth or the private letter to Philemon, here's the message. The message is this, that you would not be enamored with the vessel giving the message, but rather you would become enamored with the one who is the message, and his name is Jesus. Because as Paul said, my preaching was not a demonstration of humanity and what we could do in the flesh, but it was a demonstration of the Spirit, capital S, and power. Why? So that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So that you would not become enthralled with a celebrity preacher, but that you would fall madly in love with, head over heels with, this Jesus who is called the Christ. C. Schaefer said it like this, gospel doctrine plus gospel culture equals power. Gospel doctrine, gospel teaching, God-centeredness plus gospel culture equals power. And I love how Paul concludes this portion of the text because we looked at verses 18, 19, and 20. And now in verse 21, Paul says this, having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Confidence. What is confidence? It's being persuaded to trust in. There's confidence. You will not be shaken. There's confidence that says, I know my Redeemer lives. There's confidence that we say, I know as God leads, wherever he leads, he feeds, and where he guides, he provides. There's confidence. But confidence in what, Paul's saying? In your obedience, Philemon. In your joyful submission. Knowing what? To discover, to discern, that you will do even more than I say. See, Paul is laying it out there. He continues to paint this picture that says, look, here's what Christ did for me, Paul. Philemon, here's what Christ did for you. Go do the same. Go and do the same for Onesimus. And that's why the last key, key number three is this. If I'm to intercede for others, 
I must seek to instill confidence in those who are entrusted to me. Key number three, if I am to intercede for others, I must seek to instill, don't miss that, confidence in those who are entrusted to me. Notice the high level of expectation from Paul to Philemon. The bar is not low. This is not one of those, I hope you get around to it, hope you'll do it. No, this is one he's saying, look, this is what I'm expecting of you. This is the bar of excellence. Shouldn't we be excellent for the Lord in all that we do? Now, I get this. I get this. There are instances where you can do all the correct biblical steps. I get it. And there are still those in your sphere of influence who will have hardened hearts, rebellious hearts, stiff necks. They will resist till the cows come home. However, don't miss this. Here's three ways that you can instill confidence in those around you who are entrusted to you. Number one is this. Live out humble selflessness. There is something attractive about being humble. When you're around someone who's prideful, it's very repelling. It's almost like that you took a can of bug spray, sprayed it all over yourself, and you're repelling just everyone around you. That's what pride does. Not only does pride come before the fall, but I'll tell you what, when we're prideful, it repels people. It's a turnoff. Number two, live out a repentant heart that owns your personal indwelling sin. Model this, a repentant heart. See, humility happens, and as we're humble, our heart's repentant in that process. And we're going, wait a minute, I got sin in my life, and I got to repent from this. Just not confess it. Oh, go one step deeper. Actually admit what it is and say, look, I no longer want to head that direction. I'm going to do an about face. I'm going to repent and turn and flee from the sin and walk that way no more. No blame shifting. No spiritual hot potato. She made me do it. He made me do it. No, no, no. Own your sin. I got to own my sin. No one, as James tells us, can blame God. We can't blame anyone else. Each one of us, myself at the top of the list, each one of us is drug away as we are lured and enticed. We are baited. And that brings forth the sin. And the sin, if not repented from, and giving our lives to Christ, will bring forth death. As the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And number three, live out joyfully submitting to spiritual authority. Those that God has put in your life to spiritually have authority over you, they're there to care for your souls. Allow them to do that joyfully in your life. Don't rebel. Be one that submits joyfully to that. And watch God work. Because we got to understand this. That in all of these instances here, whether it be pride, whether it be an unrepentant heart, whether it be rejecting spiritual authority, the throne war is real in every one of our lives. At some point, at some point, every person is at war with God over who will be on the throne of their life. This throne war is real. At some point, for some of us, it's a daily struggle. But at some point, all of us, all of us, 
will go to war against God over who's truly on the throne of our lives. See, that's why Hebrews 13, 17 says it like this. Hebrews 13, 17, write it down. The writer says this of Hebrews, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Don't miss that. Let them do so with joy and not grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. Now, very interesting here. We are, by the way, not talking about someone who is abusive, and you have to submit to that abuse. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about spiritual authority over you, over me, that is godly, that is Christ-honoring, that we must submit to that joyfully. Because here, right here, the writer of Hebrews tells us, do this not to be grievous to them, but do so that it's joyful for them and joyful for yourself. Because, oh, by the way, it's going to be unprofitable for you. Oh, very interesting. Onesimus means what? Useful and profitable. See how all this ties together through Scripture? Onesimus, who was this runaway servant, has now come to know Jesus. Paul's interceding for him to Philemon. And this is so glorious because Paul is interceding and he's pleading and he's saying, look, I want you to do this. I know you can do this. Because Philemon, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. So how about you today? What is the Lord speaking to your heart right now? What is God speaking right now to your heart? Well, our takeaway question is simply this. And it's a very pointed question. But it's a very simple question. And here it is. Write it down. Am I an encourager looking away from myself? Or am I a discourager looking inwardly towards myself? Let me say that again as you write that down. Am I an encourager where I'm looking away from myself and what I want and my rights and this is what I gotta have? Or am I a discourager if you're honest? Looking inwardly towards self, me, 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 and the me syndrome, the me monster, the me war is going on. As I've asked myself that question, and you're asking yourself right now, truthfully answering, here's your action step. Here's your action step. Write it down. I resolve today, right now, to be encouraged with the goal of daily. Don't miss that. Not weekly, not monthly, not yearly. With the goal of daily encouraging others. Let me say that again. Here's your action step. I resolve today to be encouraged with the goal of daily encouraging others. How can you be encouraged? Well, I know this. If you're not in the Word, if you're not in fervent vertical prayer, if you're not seeking to be like Christ, if you're not abiding in the true vine Jesus, if you're not regularly in the fellowship of the believers of your church, it's going to be really, really difficult to be encouraged. Because if you're doing the opposite of all of that, you're filling your mind and your heart and your soul with the world. 
And the world is so intoxicating. It's so alluring. Oh, we think it's going to bring what we desire. We think the hurts that we have, the wounds that we have, the aches that we have will somehow be filled and bandaged and medicated and we will no longer have these if we just go down this path of the world. But we know this. It's a trap. It's a trick. You cannot be encouraging if you yourself are not encouraged. And you can't be encouraged unless you're in Christ. And you can't be in Christ unless you're in His Word, unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit, unless you're abiding in Him. If you're not abiding in the true vine. Because the reality is this, you can't give away that which you yourself do not possess. It's impossible. The way you give away the love of Christ, the mercy of Christ, modeling redemption is for you yourself today to become redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. That's how you give it away. See, Christ gives it to us and we are now His disciples with the mandate to go make disciples that make disciples that make disciples of all nations. See, this is a powerful text from Paul to Philemon. And it made me think about the illustration that I have four children. I love my children. My children are so precious to me. And if you ask me the question today, would I be willing to give any of my children for you? Would I be willing to give one of my children to pay your debt? to stand in the gap for you like Christ did for us? Would I be willing to give them on your behalf to set you free? Well, here's the answer. No. I don't have to pray about it because I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to give my child for you. And yet the reality is that God showed and demonstrated His love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, this... God said, look, I'm actually going to give my child for you. I'm going to give my only begotten son that whosoever believes in him with an action, faith, not a passive, not an intellectual, not raise a hand, say a prayer, do a cartwheel, do the hocus pocus thing. No, for him who truly gives his heart, for her that truly gives her heart, gives their lives to Christ, for that person that truly surrenders everything to Christ, that person is redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Aren't you glad God didn't look at me and you and say, you made your bed, now you sleep in it. You made your bed, you clean up the mess. You made your bed, you clean up the mess. No, God in His great love, His great love, He extended His only begotten Son that you and I might live. See, because God is holy, He cannot go against His holiness. And he has to punish sin, and through Christ, here's what we see in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. Paul writes this to the church in Colossae. He says, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, capital H, has made alive together with him, capital H, having forgiven you all trespasses. Verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he, capital H, has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. 
having disarmed principalities and powers. He, capital H, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Do you see this today, church family? Your sin, when you give it to Christ, is totally abolished. He takes your sin and casts it as far as the east as to the west, and you truly do bear it no more. He makes you alive in Him. He nails it to the cross. He wipes out all of the requirements because the requirements are simply this. It's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ that we must be saved. And to bring this point to a crescendo, in John 19, verse 30, The text simply says this, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Let me read this again, church. John 19, 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Oh, understand this. Jesus did not say, I am finished. Jesus said, it is finished. In other words, he said this, mission accomplished. Jesus didn't say, I am finished. Oh no, Jesus is alive today. He holds the keys of Hades. He holds the keys of death. Our God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, is not dead, but he's fully alive. And Jesus stood in the gap for us to put our sin on his tab, to put our sin on his bill. And God's response to this was, you are justified. You are declared righteous by the blood of my son, Jesus Christ, and him alone. What a beautiful, beautiful conclusion to verses 18 through 21 of Philemon. As redemption was modeled from Christ to Paul, from Paul to Philemon, and prayerfully now, from Philemon to Onesimus. Do you see the domino effect this has in our lives? Do you see the ripple effect this has in our lives as we extend grace and mercy to those who don't deserve it? Because the reality is this, you and I don't deserve it either, but God through his love and his mercy and his grace lavished this upon us. Jesus Christ absorbed the wrath and we've been set free to live as the disciples and the ministers of the gospel that God has called us to be. Spurgeon said it so well when he said, there may be some sins of which a man cannot speak, but there is no sin, no sin, which the blood of Christ cannot wash away. And yet even though salvation is free, the grace of Christ is not cheap. And freedom from sin is never free. It costs Christ deeply as it costs him his life. Is it really too much that you give your life all to him? And so as we come to the conclusion of the message, this is not a signal to put away our Bibles and gather our belongings. This is actually a signal to get brutally honest with ourselves. If we leave here the same as when we entered, we haven't become more like Jesus. And so with great introspection, 
What are the past wounds you have right now that need to be dealt with? Who are you not interceding for? Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to model redemption on behalf of? What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? These unresolved wounds that we all deal with just don't magically go away. If not dealt with, they will deal with you. And yes, maybe some of these wounds are at the hands of other people. And if that's you today, my heart goes out to you. But sometimes if we're honest, these wounds are just self-inflicted. Don't buy into the victim mentality if that's the case. Be an overcomer through Christ Jesus today. Confess, repent, run to the cross of Jesus Christ. Ask God right now to bend you, to break you, yield everything you are to Him, and watch Him work in your life. As you ask Him to give you the courage right now to face and deal with your past, to deal with the wounds, to deal with the hurt, to deal with that person who has been an Onesimus in your life and they've stolen from you, they've wounded you, they've harmed you, they've betrayed you. Ask God right now to give you the courage to deal with this head on. No longer allow your situation to enslave you, to be in a self-imposed prison, to be on a hollow pursuit, going nowhere, fruitless joys everywhere. Rest in Christ. He's your hope. He's your identity. He's your security. And simply obey whatever He's asking you to do right now. Oh, Father, as we come to this time where we give our lives back to You, God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart have been acceptable to You, my Lord, my Rock and my Redeemer. God, I pray if there's one listing right now that does not know you, they have never truly given their life to you. God, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, I pray you'd break through. I pray that you'd rip the scales and the blinders off of their hearts and their minds and their souls. I pray right now they'd begin to see clearly. I pray that those who are blind would now see. God, I pray that those who are dead would now be made alive in Christ. Oh God, I pray, will you do the work and do it now? And oh God, we'll be quick to give you all the praise, to give you all the glory. For worthy, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Worthy, worthy is the Lamb that went into that grave. And praise be Praise be to our great God. Worthy, worthy is the Lamb that on the third day, triumphant over sin, conquered sin, He conquered death, and the grave could not hold our King. To Him, Jesus Christ, to Him be all the praise. To Him, Jesus Christ, be all the glory. To Him, Jesus Christ, be all the fame to make much of Him and to Him and to Him alone, we exalt His name and His name only. It's the name of every name that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that King Jesus is Lord. 
And to Him be the praise. And to Him be the glory. And oh God, we pray this in no other name but just the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.